Happy New Year. Everybody have a good New Year? Amen. All right. <laughs> yeah, that's okay sometimes. <laughs> I understand. Uh, we're going to embark upon a new series uh, today. I'm titling this um, Beyond Us. And um, what it is is a series of uh, character studies based upon all in the Old Testament except for one. And uh, we're going to look at how God moved these people beyond themselves. And I hope there's some lessons in there for us as we are in this situation and in these circumstances that God will move us beyond ourselves. You like before and after stories? You know what I mean? The guys that uh, at one point are kind of heavy and then they end up being really thin or maybe it's uh, someone who's very weak and they become very strong. I have some pictures of before and after. And the first one is, that's a rug, believe it or not. And after, isn't that beautiful? And then we have uh, this gentleman here. That's before and that's after. And we have another one. There's before. And that's after. And another one. Let's see. Now, sometimes before and after pictures aren't good. They go the other direction. And this was, you know what that is, don't you? That's uh, Mount St. Helens. I lived a thousand miles from there in Montana on the day that it blew. And it was dust all over everything, a thousand miles away. And that's, be, that's after and the next one, this is unfortunately going the opposite direction. And presidents have been known to get old and gray very quickly in the office. And there he is after his presidency. And the next one is Obama before and Obama after. And the next one, this is a Pulitzer Prize winning photograph. It's a beautiful young lady. And look what war did to her. You see the fear in her face and the devastation. And uh, one, I think there's one, that's it. I did have one of Arnold Schwarzenegger, but I'm not going to show that one before and after. I also had one of a person who was hooked on methamphetamines and with two years what it did to them. I'm not going to show that one either. But um, before and after pictures, um, they show a positive side and a negative side, or hopefully a negative side, a positive side, going in the right direction. And when we look at the life of Moses as a whole, we see and we hope for a good transformation for him because so much of what he did we see beforehand. And then later on we see him uh, transform uh, to an after type of picture. Um, but nothing separates sometimes the good from the bad except a choice. Moses was on the bad side of those choices for many years, especially after murdering an Egyptian. And so when we come to Exodus chapter 3 and 4, we're going to see a man with the before picture of himself, a man who had no confidence, a man who was shepherding sheep in the wilderness for the last 40 years. And in this series, what we're looking at here is how God moves us 
beyond ourselves in spite of the bad choices that we make. And maybe some of us <laughs> are in the bad picture or the before picture of our lives. And frankly, we kind of lack confidence in what we can become. And that's what's happening here with Moses. Have you ever wondered whether God would ever use you in, a, in any kind of capacity at all, let alone a major way? And I think sometimes we, we really doubt that. We kind of live in the before picture of our lives. But without confidence, without faith, a man or a woman is nothing but a marshmallow, right? But with confidence and faith, they can become like a rock. Now, my question this morning is, how does God develop and give you confidence in order to move us beyond ourselves? How does he do that? I believe the answer is found in Exodus chapter 3 and 4. Now, I'm going to summarize the first 10 verses of Exodus chapter 3. Um, we'll see here that what happens, it's a very familiar story. Moses is shepherding the, the sheep at Mount Sinai. There's a Location, a picture, a location of it. That's where it generally, traditionally has uh, it's been located. And there's a picture of it as well, right there. Um, but here, what happens is Moses is shepherding the sheep in this area, and he sees a bush that's burning, but it doesn't consume itself. And what this is, as theology, the old theologians call it, is a theophany. It is a visible, visible manifestation of God to an individual. And so what you have here is a fire in a burning bush. You ever wonder why in the world did God take a bush and light it on fire? I can imagine that in the desert, uh, these bushes could burst into flame. But the interesting thing, they burn up. But this one doesn't burn up. And Philo, remember that Greek philosopher? He was one of the first ones to kind of put together some symbolism around what's going on here, and I think he might have hit upon something. The bush, a bush in the Old Testament, is often a symbol of the nation of Israel. I'm not going to go through all the verses around that. but And the fire is, in the book of Exodus, a symbol of God's revelation and God's guidance and care for his people. Pillar of fire, the fire of, and he goes on and on. You see this in the book as you read through it. So what you have here is an interesting symbol. You have the nation, and that God is in the midst of this nation in the bush, and it's burning. Yet the bush is not being consumed because of God's presence. Now, I'm not sure that that occurred to Moses altogether, although it might occur to him after he wrote the book. But God is telling Moses that he is going to deliver his people from that slavery and they're not consumed because of his presence with them, right? And he says to him that he's going to bring a deliverer to them. And Moses probably perked up and said, that's a good idea. Until he says, yeah, I, I'm going to send you. Uh, like Ralph Cramden, remember the honeymooners? Probably none of you remember that. He used to kind of stutter. Yeah, keep Gleason, there you go, man. Uh, and he used to, uh, so there's a sense in which uh, he 
is very incompetent about what God's asking him to do. So God asks him that he will work through him to deliver his people. He has a mission for him. And the church has a mission, and I, I, I want to reverse that for a moment. The mission has the church, doesn't it? The mission has us. We don't have a mission. The mission has us. See the difference in that? And so I wonder, do you have a mission? <laughs> um, have you looked at your own life and said to yourself, this is why I'm here. This is why God has put me here. And I think we need to ask that question individually because that question really trans transcends other things in our life, doesn't it? It transcends what we're going to be doing with our work, where we're going to live, who we're going to be married to, our kids. It transcends um, the relationships that we have because that mission will go wherever you go wherever you're located, wherever you work, whatever you do, and whoever you associate with. If you don't know what that is for yourself, then I would suggest that you write one out. <laughs> Why has God put you in this earth, in this area, in where you are now? And write that out for you. We're going to talk about it more as I as I go through the, this talk. And we also need to look at mission in regard to the whole church and in regard to the city church. And that's why we're actually having a vision tonight to discuss that mission in a, in a little bit more detail, to bring clarity, to bring identity, to bring a direction for us as we move forward in this new year. Um, so, Look forward to that, and you'll see that we'll maybe that going coming to that meeting will help you actually write out kind of a, a mission for your own life. The first thing that God does with Moses is the first thing He does with everybody. He gives Himself, He gives Moses a transforming vision of Himself. And Moses lacked confidence after that vision. He speaks to him from a burning bush. Now look at his lack of confidence. After he says in verse 10, Now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring the people of Israel out of Egypt. And in verse 11, Moses says to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring, out, bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He says, Lord, I'm a nobody. Um, I don't have what it takes. And I think he's being pretty honest here. I think he has an honest humility and assessment of himself. He just uh, encountered the living God out of a burning bush. And now God gives him this mission, and it, it overwhelms him. And I think it should overwhelm us too. I think there's... there's there's an idea here that when we encounter God and we are, see his greatness and the task that he has given to us, our first impulse is, uh, who am I to do this? But look what God does graciously to him in the midst of this true humility. It says in verse 12, 
And the Lord said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who has sent you. And when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you, that's a plural, by the way, you will worship God on this mountain. So in the midst of Moses' lack of confidence, God gives him his presence. I will be with you, he says. This is ancient Near Eastern oath language. He's making a promise to Moses. He's saying that God's presence will go with Moses to Egypt. Now, we have his presence. Uh, we have been promised his presence. And we have his presence. But how do you know <laughs> when you have his presence? How do you actually know that? You know, I could do a whole series on the presence of God in our lives and so on, and maybe one day we will, and it's a good topic to look at. But let me simplify it down to two principles, two ideas, two keys that could unlock your understanding of the presence of God in your life. The first one is faith. To really know the presence of God, we have to believe him. It's without faith, as Hebrews 11 says, right? It's impossible to please God. Faith is the lens that focuses our lies, our eyes to see the truth. This is an eardrum picks up sound waves, right? So our faith is a sixth sense that enables us to see God, to, see his, to know his presence, to know his power and his greatness in our life. Now, that isn't just enough. You have to do a second thing. You have to act upon it. That's the second key. We have to obey what he's telling us to do. Faith minus obedience is really nothing, right? We just looked at James not too long ago. Faith without works is dead, is useless. And so... We can't just say that we believe without acting upon that faith. Faith should lead to obedience, and when it does, obedience strengthens our faith. And thus, we know that God is with us. So God gave Moses the promise of his presence. But he, what he doesn't do, <laughs> he doesn't give us the details of what the nation or Moses will go through in the deliverance of his people. And that's true for us too, isn't it? God has promised um, his presence in our lives, but he doesn't give us all the details of, of what we'll go through and how he will move our lives forward. He asks us to trust him, trust his presence, in the midst of whatever we encounter. So in spite of God's presence that will go with Moses, he still offers another objection to God. And we see this objection in verses 13. Verse 13. And Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and, they, and, and say to them, 
the God of your fathers has sent me to, to you. And they ask me, what's his name? Um, then what shall I tell them? Here, he's fearful. You can hear the fear in, in his voice. Um, if, what if they ask me something about who you are? What am I supposed to tell them? And in the midst of this fear, God gives him his authority. Look at what he says in verses 13, verse 14. And God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you shall say to Israelites. I am has sent me to you. The, the word there is a word, the word to be in Hebrew. And it's the word that says to be. It's the first person singular verb to be. Now, when you speak of God in the third person in Hebrew, you end up with Yahweh. And that's where the name Yahweh came from. And I like the way Kenneth Barker summarizes the concept of Yahweh. He says, he is the eternal, self-existent one. I am that I am. Absolute, unchanging one. Representing un he represents underived. He doesn't come from something else. Independent existence of God. Always present to save, help, redeem, bless, and to keep covenant. And for Moses, in order to gain confidence and overcome the fear that he had about what these people might ask him, and to move him beyond himself, God gave him his authority, the authority of his name, and all that, all that that represents. It wasn't his authority. It wasn't Moses' authority. It was God's authority. And we've talked about this in the leadership team, that we're in a state here, in a, in a situation where, as a city church, God's got to do something. We can be as responsible and obedient as we can be in regard to the ministry of this church, in regard to helping people, in regard to preaching, and doing things, music, and so on. But if God doesn't do something, it isn't going to happen. I can, you know, me, me and John were talking one day, and we said exactly that to each other. We said, that if God doesn't do something, it, it ain't happening. And that's operating not on our authority. This is his church. It's not our church. It's his church. It's not Anthony's church. It's, it's the Lord's church. And unless he does something, and unless we depend upon him, and we lay this before him, and we claim his authority, and he does something, it ain't going to happen, especially in regard to the finances. I mean, we could, I could stand up here, people could stand up and browbeat you about money, but that isn't going to work. That's basically coming on our authority. But unless God moves and, and our, our finances level to a certain extent, then we're going to be able to afford this place and be able to do ministry. And that's my point is, is that unless God does this with his authority, it isn't going to happen. Now, maybe you and I would stop there, right? 
well, gee whiz, if God's going to be present with me and he's given me his authority, I'll go and I'll do it. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, Moses doesn't stop there. He has a third objection. And this third objection is found in chapter 4, verse 1. Moses answered, what if they do not believe me? And, or listen to me and say, the Lord has not appeared to you. Um, here we have the syndrome of the, the glass half empty syndrome, right? Um, where um, he doesn't see how much God has given him. He's seeing how little that he, that he has. It's the idea of doubting as well. He's doubting whether this is really going to happen. These people are going to believe in him. By the way, you ever... You ever feel that way? <laughs> you ever feel that, you know, the people that you interact with, you know, they're never going to believe what I have to say about spiritual things. They're never going to believe God if I talk to them about that, so I just won't even say anything about it. You know what I found? I found that's more of a reflection of my unbelief than it is of their willingness to listen. <laughs> I found that as I talk to people about spiritual things, about Jesus Christ and they're more interested in listening than I am often in t talking about it. And I think that's exactly what Moses is dealing with here. You know, they're never going to believe me as I, as I go down there and talk to them. But what does God do? Graciously, again, notice what he says in verses 2 to 9. The Lord said to him, what's that in your hand? Now, God knew what was in his hand, right? So what's he doing here? He's trying to get God and Moses to draw his attention to what he has in, in his possession, right? A staff, Moses says. The Lord says, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground, and it became a snake, and he ran from it. <laughs> That's kind of funny. Here he's, uh, God's actually doing this, and he's afraid of what God's doing. Um. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. Now, that took some faith as well to do that. So he, Moses reached out and took hold of the snake, and it turned back into the staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they might believe that the Lord, the God of, the fathers, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. And then the Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand inside his cloak. And when he took it out, it was leprous like snow. Now put it back into your cloak. So Moses put his hand back into his cloak. And when he took it back out again, it was restored uh, like the rest of his flesh. Then the Lord said, if they did not believe you or pay attention to the first miracle, sign, miraculous sign, they may believe the second. But if they do not be believe these two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile and pour it on dry ground. The water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. Now, what a bunch of strange things to have Moses do, right? What in the world is going on here? Well, um, you're seeing a, a polemic being developed. You see this with the plagues as well coming up in, in Exodus chapter chapter 12. 
Um, so here are three miracles. You have a snake that becomes a rod. And I think what God is doing here is telling Moses that, that he has the power over the Egyptian forces of magic because they do the same thing. But he's saying, and you'll see a miracle later on about this, that God has power over those evil forces. Now, the diseased hand to a healed hand, it shows that God's power over the physical body. And the third one, the blood on the land, shows that God's power over nature. And he's building a polemic. They have all gods, and I won't go into details about it. They have gods for all of these things. And so what he's saying here is he's giving authentication of Moses. And this would authenticate Moses to his people and also to the nation of Egypt as well. And of course, Jesus Christ did the same thing, didn't he? Not the same miracles, but he performed miracles to authenticate who he was and why he came. And eventually, the nation completely rejected him for it. So what is, it, what is he saying here? I saying, he's saying that in, in the midst of, of doubt, of looking at the glass half empty, God gives us his promises. And his promises for us today is the word of God. I never grow tired of quoting 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correction, and training in righteousness. See, we gain confidence and we move beyond ourselves when we rely upon the promises of God and what he will do. The scriptures are sometimes like a dark house. Um, at first, they're like a mystery to us, and we're afraid of those dark corners, and maybe we'll open the wrong door, and we're afraid it was going to jump out at us. But the more we get familiar with that house, the less fear we have. Matter of fact, the more that we understand what it says. And as you study, you gain confidence, and you grow, and you develop just as God provided these signs for Moses, so the scriptures serve us today as a means of knowing his promises and what he will do. Now, we might think, well, that's good enough. We have his um, presence with us. We've given us his authority. And now he's given us his promises. But Moses still isn't done complaining. And he offers up a fourth complaint. And we see this in verses 10. And Moses said to the Lord, O Lord, I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you, have, uh, since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. Moses has no confidence in his abilities at all, especially around what he says. And he negates this very emphatically. Um, the idea is that even in my past, until now, I just don't have it, Lord. I can't speak very well. He says, I am heavy. That's the word. The word heavy in speech. And he repeats it. I'm heavy in tongue. 
He's being a little dishonest here. Uh, he surely rose up and spoke. And he surely was effective in his delivery of his talk to the people, his speeches to the people. And he also wrote the Pentateuch. He wrote this book. And so he's saying that he's not effective. And now look at, again what God graciously says and does with him. You can see this in verse 12. The Lord said, Who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf and mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I see a little bit a little more tension here in God's voice. Now go, and I will help you speak and teach you what to say. Now, um, what's he saying here? Uh, Moses uses the I am. I am slow. I am heavy in tongue, and I am heavy in speech. And the Lord uses I am again, referring to, remember what I just revealed to you about who I am? And he's saying to him, I am able to give you the words to say. Um, he's not saying here that the point isn't a theological point that he created evil and he created blind people. And now, What he's doing is he's using a figure of speech called a merism. He's using extremes, a bit hyperbole, but extreme to say that I'm sovereign over all of it. Moses, I can overcome all of your deficiencies. And he's saying that I made you the way you are. And I find you acceptable for me to use. And I hope you're hearing that today for yourself. It's true of you that God can overcome any of the deficiencies that you have. He finds you completely acceptable for his work in your life to others. He knows all that we are about. And so in the midst of the inadequacy of speech and our own abilities, God gives us his sovereignty and his ability to overcome any deficiencies that we might happen to have. Now, you would think, okay, at this point, thank you, Lord, I appreciate it, I'm going. And Moses, unfortunately, he allows the crippling doubt of his life to get the best of him, because we have a fifth objection. It's very short in verse 13. He says, oh, Lord, please send someone else to do it. Um, constructed very carefully in the original language, it literally says, by the hand of whomever you send. No, he doesn't put himself in there, but the Lord knew what he was saying. I'm out. Send somebody else. Now, so we have Moses refusing to obey. So what does God do? He gets mad. He gets mad at him. 
Look at what he says in verse 14. He's kind of had it up to here with it. And he says, and the Lord's anger burned against Moses. That's literally the translation. The idea, not of wrath in this context, it's more of, the, of a motivation to move towards judgment when it talks about burning. It's a motivation to use an alternative action. You're not doing what I'm asking you to do. I'm going to use somebody else. And notice what he says. What about your brother Aaron, the Levite? I know he can speak well. And he already is on his way to meet you, and his heart will be glad when he sees you. Now, it's not the fact that he's going to be glad to see Moses alone. He's going to be glad because God's going to speak through him. Unlike you, Moses, you're not very glad about what I'm telling you to do. Well, your brother is going to be. It's kind of a little bit of a, a nudge, right? He, uh, you shall speak to him and put words in his mouth, and I will help both you speak. Notice he includes him again. And will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you, and it will be as if you were, he were, were your mouth, and as if you were God to him. But take this staff in your hands, and so you can perform miraculous signs with it. He gets mad, and he says, "All right, I'll use somebody else." I'm gonna, you're going to continue to give me these objections, then I am going to use somebody else. You ever done that, by the way? Have you ever refused to obey what he tells you, he wants you to do, in regard to his mission in life, into your life? I'll tell you something. It's never too late. Never too late to begin again. It's never too late to take a step forward, to lean into the issues that you're struggling with, because you'll find that God is right there with you, that his presence, his authority, his promises are all active and there for you. All he's looking for is for us to step forward. In the face of no confidence in God's missional call, he gives us his presence. In your personal mission, right? In the city church's mission to reach out beyond ourselves, may I suggest that we don't ask for his presence, that we trust in it and we acknowledge that it's already with us. I find that um, so much is lost by asking for God, uh, asking things of God that we already have. Lord, have your spirit with us. The spirit is with us. Lord, be with us as we go. He already is with us. And so I wonder sometimes God's saying, I I'm right here. You know, you don't need to keep asking me. And I think we need to uh, not presume, but we need to move forward in boldness with the idea that God has gone forward to us. He is with us in the midst of it. And he can speak through us with it. When we are fearful of, what God, of his missional call, he gives us his authority. 
We need to claim his authority. Claim his authority over this city, over your, your sphere of influence, his power. Not your power, but his power. When we move beyond ourselves, we don't do it with our own power. Because that's self-confidence. Okay? We're talking about God-confidence, that we move forward with his authority and not ours. And you know the difference, right? When you're trying to work it up yourself, when you're taking on all of this yourself, you're operating upon your own authority and not his. What we're really negative about his mission, he gives us his promises. We need to claim what those promises are. And do we know what they are? Do we know what his promises are to us as we move out into mission for our personal lives and as a church? Do we know that um, his word will not come back to him void? Do we know that the gospel of God is the power of God unto salvation as we share? And the promises can go on and on and on. We need to know what those are. And we need to claim them because it's through those promises that he he works out through us what his mission is to other people. And when we have no confidence at all in our own abilities, God teaches us to obey in spite of how we feel. Um, our inadequacies, our inadequacies um, can be an opportunity for his adequacy in our lives. I like uh, 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I, um, I delight in weaknesses and in insults and in hardships and in persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So if we refuse to obey him, his mission is we just say uh, send somebody else he will use somebody else have you ever experienced that where he's given you an opportunity to show his mercy his grace to somebody and for some reason for some fear whatever it is you don't do it and then you witness that the fact that it's been done in front of you I've experienced that myself So where do we need to obey him in our, in our mission? Where do we need to uh, begin to move beyond ourselves right now? He is there. He is by our side, by your side, as you step forward. Where is God asking us as the city's church to step forward? Even as people leave. Even as the polemic, uh, the, the pandemic, polemic pandemic, the pandemic increases. Even as you feel you don't have no direction, and we don't have any direction, where do you think God would like you to lean into, in spite of all those things? See, confidence in God's mission comes when we know that God is with us, and we know that God's with us when we believe who He is. And we do what he says. Our confidence to move beyond ourselves is developed when we realize that there's nothing in this world to fear 
except sin. And there's no one to uh, have awe in other than God himself. But how does that confidence work out practically, really? A couple of things. You develop a personal mission for your life. Well, how do you do that? Well, notice what Moses did. He sought God's face. He saw this bush and he went to see what it was all about. And God gave him a transforming vision of who he is. And he can do that today, too. And I would encourage you, if you don't have a mission for your life, that you begin to seek God's face. That you start spending time with him, extended time with him, so that you're able to say, this is what I'm here to do. Know what his commission is, generally. Matthew 28, 17 to 20. When they saw him, they worshipped him, and some doubted. Very important phrase. Even in the midst of, of the Lord commissioning his disciples, some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority, notice all the parallels there, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go, participle, it's not a command, okay, it sounds like an imperative, it's not. Go, here's the command, make disciples. The participle is as you are going, make disciples. Here's the second participle. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And here's the third participle. Teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. The main point here is to make disciples. That is his general mission for us today. Not converts. Now, you can't be a disciple unless you have converted to Christianity, right? But he hasn't called us just to convert people. He's called us to make disciples. And there's a lot more involved in it. It certainly involves going. That's a modifying phrase. It certainly involves baptizing. Modifying phrase. And it also involves teaching them Notice, to obey. Not just teaching, teaching to obey. Another modifying phrase. But there is, that is the general commission that's given to all of us. And that when we lack confidence, that we need to allow ourselves to know what that commission is. And we need to go back to Moses and look at the excuses that he throws up to God and learn from them. And learn how God can overcome all of those excuses, all of that inadequacy, all of that lack of confidence. Because when we do that, he moves us beyond just ourselves. He moves us beyond our inadequacies, beyond our our own personal failures to accomplish his mission in this world. And maybe, who knows, we might look like this guy. <laughs> maybe a little 
shoot up around the feet. But uh, maybe in the midst of the difficulties that we'll face, that we will be triumphant, we'll be victorious because of what he has done through us so that the world might be one to Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we look at this, and sometimes we can, it can make us even more discouraged. But, Lord, I want us to take hope from this, that God never gave up on him. Even though he refused, he still allowed, uh, uh, allowed his ministry in Moses' life. And look what it developed into. Look at the after picture, Lord, of, of how you have worked in that man's life. And, and may, maybe, maybe we're, we're in the before picture right now. Maybe we kind of look uh, like that before snapshot of something. But Lord, as we move forward in, in regard to uh, who you are, into, into forward into regard to your presence, to your, to your authority, to your promises in our life, that we might be transformed by that so that we might accomplish what you have put us here on earth to do. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen.